0: Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. A little later in the show, we are going to try to have a conversation about the future of the 13th Congressional District here in the state of Michigan. John Conyers, who has served that district for 53 years, is reported to be retiring from that seat later this morning. We're going to try to get someone... Uh, who's familiar with that district and familiar with politics here in the state, to talk about what's next, who's next. I expect that there will be quite a few hands that shoot up in the air to try to replace John Conyers. What will that race look like uh, next year? So you want to stay tuned for that. Also, remember, if you've got to step away from your radio because you're headed into work or for any other reason, you don't have to miss out on all the conversation here on Detroit Today. You can go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts, download and subscribe to Detroit Today, and you can take us with you, and then you can listen to us whenever and wherever you want. But we're going to spend the bulk of the show today talking about violence, and violence especially when it comes to teenagers who grew up in urban environments like those here in the city of Detroit. A few nights ago, thousands of Detroiters and Metro Detroiters came to Midtown Detroit for Noel Night, which is an annual event of shopping and entertainment put people in the holiday spirit it's a really fun carefree type of event or it's, it's at least supposed to be this year was marred by a sudden and violent turn of events a personal dispute between teenagers led to gunfire and four young people were sent to the hospital with bullet wounds all of them lived fortunately and the police have a suspect in custody the fear of people who scrambled in the confusion and the cancellation of Noel Night events have had a different kind of lasting impact. It really taints the way we view big public gatherings and it can damage our feelings of security among strangers. In the controversial con- conversation about a city on the rise with a strong downtown and midtown corridor, it's easy to forget that this is still a big city with big city problems. Crime, violence, neglect, segregation, Poverty, you name it. It's one of the things that sort of shapes life for so many people here in Detroit. One of the tensions that sort of arises in a conversation about what happened on Noel Night is that difference between what's happening in places like downtown and midtown and what's happening in neighborhoods where most Detroiters live. And when those two worlds collide, often it's a reminder that things are not changing as fast or as dramatically for some people as they are for others. Noel night was one of those reminders. We wanna start the conversation there talking about what happened on Noel night, but we wanna sort of expand out from there and talk about this broader issue of violence, how it shapes lives in Detroit, how it affects the things that we're trying to do, even in places like downtown and midtown, and most of all, how it affects the kids who grow up in this city. Uh, Teenagers showing up at an event like Noel Night with guns says a lot about what is going on in our city. Uh, All hour, the number to join the conversation, of course, is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Tell us if you were downtown on Noel Night on on Saturday. What did you think? Of what happened? Does this kind of violence shape or change the way you feel about the city? And what do you think needs to happen to ensure safety for everyone, not just visitors to Detroit or downtown and midtown, but the folks who live here in the city? What do we need to do to make sure that things like this happen less frequently or maybe not at all? Again, 313 577 1019 is the number on the phones. And joining me first to talk about. What Happened on Noel Night is uh, Sue Mosey. She's the executive director of Mid Down Detroit Inc. Also, here is Candace Fortman. She's the marketing director at WDET, a life- lifelong Detroiter who was working here at the station, which was open on Noel Night. Sue and Candace, welcome to Detroit today.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me.
0: So, Sue, uh, you and I have talked a lot about all of the work that you have done over a long period of time to make Midtown, a really different space, a really welcoming space, a really fun space for people here in Detroit. Uh, Things like Saturday night, I I imagine, uh, uh, shatter your consciousness as much as anybody else's uh, here in Metro Detroit.
1: Well, obviously, we, you know, are very saddened that something like this occurred at such a popular event. It's this event, which is, this was the 45th year, so this is certainly not a new event for Detroit, it has always been sort of the yeah. gift.
0: I used to go to this as a right. little kid.
1: Yeah. And a lot of people have. It's yeah. like their holiday tradition. So, I mean, this is like a collective gift of the entire Midtown neighborhood mm-hmm. to the whole city mm-hmm. and the region, really. And it's been that way forever. We've always made sure it's completely open, free access for everyone. You know, everything is um, is open. Yeah, And... Um, you know that's an important part of what the philosophy is behind this event. So, um, you know we're we're we've always been very happy to produce this event. We think it's special. Uh, we think the opportunity to go in all these big museums and go to exhibits that maybe you wouldn't have gone to, or just see wonderful, beautiful spaces enlivened with great music and entertainment, and tons of arts and crafts, and many Santas and. You know, sing-alongs and pretty much shopping and, <laughs> yeah. you know, really learning about our local entrepreneurs. And, I mean, it really delivers on a lot of fronts for our district. Yeah. So, you know, we love the event. And we know how to do large-scale district-wide events. We did Detroit Festival of the Arts for 22 years. Sure. We do Electricity. We do this event. Um, but I will say that 10 years ago, we had 23 venues, and this year we had 108 So we've kind of grown this organically as the neighborhood has grown. Uh, The event really taxes, irrespective of any incident that happened, it really taxes, like to the hilt, everybody in the neighborhood at this point. It's so big now physically, but it also has so many people coming. And, you know, good weather always (laughs) adds another, you know, third right. uh, to the, the mix crowd. because yeah. it's just people come out with good weather, whether you're youth or kids or whether you're adults and families, seniors. I mean, people come out when the weather's nice. sure So, um, you know, one of the things I know we're grappling with, and we actually have been grappling with this for a couple of years as it relates to Noel Night, is just how many people can we even really park? How many people can even get around down here That's for Noel Night? Yeah. Um, how many volunteers? I mean, the DIA – you know, this year because we had to close it, but I mean, they've been getting like twenty-eight thousand people in there in five hours. Yeah, like yeah. these are the biggest nights of the year for everyone.
0: <laughs> for everyone, in the and district, quite right?
1: frankly, I think we are we have really taxed everyone with this thing a lot. Yeah. Whether it's police, Wayne State, and DPD who did a you know really great job trying to deal with the situation here, but you know, part of it is like we've just really gotten really big. And I do think we have to, as an organization producing the event, rethink all that. Uh, How can we still deliver great free access public things for the neighborhood? But maybe it's in micro districts now, or maybe there's themed events four or five times a year. Maybe we aren't like doing these massive, you know, that really do create, I think, some level of liability. They do create stress on everything. Sure. Um, and so maybe it's time that we just also look at whether the existing models work or whether or not we come up with some new models.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, Candace, you were here at the station Saturday night. You're, as I said, a lifelong Detroiter, someone who lives outside of downtown or, or, or midtown. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about what your reaction was, not to the incident itself, mm-hmm. But just the sort of context of all of this, that, that uh, this is the kind of thing that if you live outside of downtown or midtown, you might be uh, much more accustomed to seeing or, or, or hearing about. Uh, but it is shocking uh, to people to, to see it down here.
2: Sure. So the so the first thing, Stephen, is that um, we were here. And we our station was open as it is every Noel night for tours So um, much like Sue was saying, we have hundreds of people come through the station. And for those of you who've never been here, this is not a very big building. Um, And so for us, it is always a production to put on and to make sure that everyone is able to get through safely um, in general. Right. Mm -hmm. So we're always thinking about that. Um, and, and then, of course, um, we had to add doing a new story in the middle of that situation. So for Jerome and his team having to go directly into action, just to make sure that people had a, f- a clear understanding of what was happening. Um, so you know that's sort of the first thing about what was happening here, but also living in the city. And I live um, in Grandma Rosedale, so I actually my street ends at a skating rink. Mm-hmm. So every Saturday night is <laughs> this is every Saturday night is Noel night for me, right? <laughs> all year long, um, because it every Saturday night is teen night. Yeah, and so I watch as incidents unfold. Some weeks are great, some weeks are not so great. Right? Um, there's always a police presence at the skating rink every. Saturday night um, and sometimes if I'm coming home right when they're letting out I can see how good or bad the night was based on how what that police presence looks like um, and so it's always a question for us as neighbors as citizens as people who want to protect and love young people how do we continue to make them feel safe in our city no matter where they are in the city yeah. um, and, and especially in a situation um, where you see incidents escalating in this way um, why is it that young people feel like that is their go-to? But that's not just a question for young people. That's a question for us, as you talk about on the show all the time, Stephen, as a country yeah. that has become more and more our answer to fixing our problems is to um, to pick up arms. Yeah. And so that's a, com- a conversation we're having nationally. And I think what happened Saturday um you know, it was painful because it was kids, and it is our job to protect them. And there was clearly a child in that situation who did not feel protected and felt like he needed to protect himself in in a very serious way.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. We are talking about Noel Night and the sudden violence that sort of broke out at it, canceled the activities for that night what did you think of what happened what does that make you think about coming down to detroit for events if you if that's something that you do uh, does violence like this shape or change the way you feel about the city or the possibility of coming into the city and what do you think we need to be doing to make sure that stuff like this doesn't happen not just at noel night uh, a little later in the show we're going to talk about the epidemic of violence among young people especially In cities like Detroit, what are the things that we need to be doing to convince them that that's not the answer? Uh, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDD Facebook page and put your comments there. Or go to Twitter and uh, put your comments there, uh, hashtag us, and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Ellen in Commerce Township. Ellen, welcome to Detroit today.
3: Oh, hi, Stephen. Good morning. Uh, Long time, first time. Uh, Just a couple of quick comments. Uh, My girlfriend and I were down there. We were maybe a half block away from the incident, walking toward where it actually happened when the people started rushing toward us, you know, people carrying their baby, screaming, whatever. Um, It was pretty unnerving. I must say I was pretty shaken. Um, I was showing my girlfriend around downtown, uh, who's leaving to move to Seattle, and I, we were just enjoying one last time in the city. <laughs> so this is like her final uh, memory of Detroit is what happened. Ugh. And that's sad because uh, I've never felt unsafe downtown mm-hmm. until the other night. And now I do feel differently um, when, in, in terms of events, crowd events. And I, I don't want to feel that way, and, and I'm sure I'll find my way back to the city um, I, it was just <clears throat> a little um, unsettling. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. No, Ellen, I really appreciate the, the call and and your sharing that story and your feelings about it. Uh, Sue, you've you've spent a long time trying to change people's minds. I feel like about Detroit and about certain parts of Detroit. I mean, uh, when when something like this happens, how much of a setback? Do you feel like it is?
1: Well, I mean, I feel like this is sort of a setback for Noel Night. Uh-huh. I don't feel it's a setback at all for Midtown or yeah. Downtown. Yeah. I mean, you know, there is a ton of business. There's a ton of activities that happen here. We have a very long history of a great neighborhood with great institutions, great galleries, great restaurants and shops. Um, you know, I don't I don't anticipate any big fallout yeah. from that.
0: Do, do, uh, when, you are, when you are trying to sell... Detroit, as mm-hmm. you often are to, to people, investors, developers, mm-hmm. whoever, how often does does uh, safety come up? How often do they ask you about how
1: would say that is? I'd say maybe 10% of yeah. the time. It's yeah. never a huge issue. I mean, I think most people that are working in urban cities, yeah. they work in other urban this cities. Way, like, this is yeah. urban cities in America. Um, and people are aware that when you're developing and you're working in urban cities, that there are always going to be... Um, you know, some issues related to safety, and they're usually mostly, you know, related to cars or, you know, um, so it's never been a huge issue for us to deal with with uh, with most um, people considering about living here or making any investment or working here. So people feel really positive about Detroit yeah. and even folks nationally um, have a really um, great uh, sense So sometimes they do ask me to provide basic crime stats, which I'm happy to do. We have really fantastic crime stats due to the work of Wayne State, yeah. the DPD, the sheriff department here. Um, you know, we have a good story to tell about um, our particular uh, crime stats in Midtown. So there's never a problem with being completely transparent with people um, about what goes on in the neighborhood. But yeah. I do feel for like Noel night because it's such a beloved tradition. Yeah that we'll have to work hard to get people to feel good about the bigger public <laughs> events yeah. and um, that we all put on in the city, not just
0: Noel Night. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Candace, uh, w- one of the things that I think comes up also when we talk about this is the way the city responds to incidents, right? So Noel Night, you had a f- huge police presence, uh, partially because you've got Wayne State police who who help out, but also I'm sure deployment-wise there were more cops down here than there there normally are. In your neighborhood though, uh when that skating rink is jumping on a Saturday night and something happens, uh, people I think would 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 argue that that it's less there's less of a response, that there's not as much attention to it. Um what do you what do you what do you notice about that? Yeah. In your
2: neighborhood? I mean clearly and, and clearly you have to adjust for scale in this situation, but quite honestly especially within the last couple of years, we've actually had really excellent response and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that we now have neighborhood police officers situated in our community they even come to our neighborhood meetings so we have a relationship with them we know them very well and they are very active in patrolling not just events that are happening but patrolling all the time Um, and so you're really getting to know your police officers again in a different way and more importantly they're getting to know their neighborhoods and the neighbors that they are supporting and and protecting in a better way so um, whereas maybe when I first moved in almost 10 years ago, that presence was different in the last few years that has changed dramatically Um, and so police response times and just them being there in the beginning to make sure that these kids feel safe because it's not about I don't want them to think that they're trying to protect these children from me I want these kids to be safe as they're crossing a major street to get to the skating rink as they're letting out I want to make sure they know that this is a community that supports their ability to go and have fun and skate on a Saturday night
0: yeah yeah okay Uh, Sue Mosey executive director of Midtown Detroit Inc thank you For being here on Detroit today. Thank you. You too, Candace. (laughs) Always good to see you in the studio. All right, up next, we're going to continue our conversation about what forces are at play when young people turn to deadly violence in American cities. We're going to talk with Chief James Craig of the Detroit Police Department next, and we'll take more of your phone calls. Jamal in Midtown, Lucy in Detroit, Annette in Detroit, Tom in Northwest Detroit. Stay where you are. We'll be right back on Detroit today.
4: Your city. Your town. Your voice.
5: 101.9 WDET, Detroit's public radio station.
0: You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We are talking much this hour about... Violence that broke out on Noel Night in Midtown here in Detroit over the weekend, but we want to sort of expand the conversation about that. Let's not talk about incidents and what they mean. Let's talk about the context that surrounds those incidences. Let's talk about the things that drive the violence that we see in our city, uh, in our neighborhoods, uh, the kinds of things that we don't. Often want to talk about or think about. And then when they happen on a place like Noel Night, everyone's attention turns at least briefly to it, but we never really get to the deeper issues. That are lurking beneath it. Uh, we want to change the subject a little here and talk more about that context with uh, Virgil Al Taylor, who is the youth advocate in the city of Detroit. He's the founder of the Urban Requiem Project. Uh, also, uh, Dexter Voize, who is a professor at the University of Chicago's School of Science, a School of Social Service Administration. He studies how youth on Chicago's South Side cope with community violence, of course, in the last few years, especially Chicago, has gotten a lot of attention for uh, the violence that has gone on there. But I want to start this segment with a story, a story that uh, that I have been talking about for a little bit uh, about something that happened to me here in Detroit. About five years ago, when I first started going back to the neighborhood where I was born over on uh, the west side near Grand River and Livernois, one day I was with a good friend of mine, uh, and, and he suggested that we go a little bit away from there to the neighborhood where his mother was from, uh, just across Livernois, and see what, what condition that neighborhood was in. And so we went and found the house uh, that that his mom had lived in, and was were driving the street. Uh, that that one house was in really great shape. It was obvious that there was a family living there and taking good care of it. And the rest of the block was in really awful shape. And so we were driving up and down, looking at the different houses. He was telling me about what they used to what they used to look like and what that neighborhood used to be. Then we decided that we wanted to go knock on the door at his mother's house. And so we got out of, uh, we got out of the car and started to walk toward uh, the house where his mother had lived. And there was a young man, uh, maybe 15 or 16 years old, sitting on the porch of this house. And as we walked up to the fence uh, in front of the house to, to greet this young man and tell him the story about my friend's mother having lived there, um, uh, he stopped. He stopped us uh, by sort of Pointing between his legs as he was sitting on the porch, uh, and that there was a gun there, and he sort of put his hand on the gun, and looked at us and said, "What do you guys want?" Well, of course, we were a little stunned uh, and a little frightened. We hurriedly explained that we were just there to see this old house and that we'd love to talk to his parents or whoever lived there. Um, and he went and he got his his grandpa and came back and. Uh, and and we sort of uh, had a nice conversation about what was going on in that block. But afterward, we were talking about the reaction that that young man had. Now, I'm a middle-aged African-American guy. My friend is a middle-aged white guy. We're walking down a block in on West Detroit in, uh, on a Sunday afternoon. What real threat were we posing? I mean, uh, the idea that he would react that way to us really, I thought, said a lot about what his life looks like. He lost the filter that I think most people would have about what threats would look like as opposed to what they don't look like. Uh, it's uh, it's, It's really stunning to think what has happened in that kid's life that says, you greet everybody with the gun. You're suspicious of everyone who walks up to your house. Who uh, who may just have a question or may just want to say hello, you go to the gun first, and I think that really speaks to what we're doing to young people, what young people are, uh, what young people are experiencing uh, in in our city and in our country, and it's one of the things that I think is very difficult for us to deal with. How do you change that culture? That's where we want to start the conversation with Virgil and with Dexter. But we also, I understand, now have Chief Craig on the line. Uh, and I want to at least give him a chance to talk about what happened over the weekend uh, and what he's doing to deal with violence in the city. Chief Craig, welcome to Detroit Today.
6: Uh, how are you doing, Stephen? Yeah,
0: good. Uh, l- let's start with what the uh, what the situation on On Saturday, tells you about what's going on in our city? what What are the things that we really need to be concerned with?
6: Well, this didn't just start yesterday, Stephen. As you know, uh, I mean, I can go back, you know when I started here many years ago, uh, uh, violence has didn't just start yesterday. And you know, certainly, um, I'm not willing to let this one incident define the city of Detroit. Uh, terrible, tragic that something like this would happen in a family fun uh, event. Of course, uh, disappointing that you know youth get in fights at games, but that's nothing new, and it's not unique to Detroit. Uh, every city I've lived in, uh, there's been fights at schools, sure. uh, and in some instances, erupts in um, in violence. Um, not trying to minimize it just saying that is a reality. So we shouldn't, you know, embrace it as, oh, my God, um, this incident here, uh, this is why Detroit would never come back. Uh, I'm an optimist. Uh, the, the city has uh, turned around. Our, our violent crime is still trending downward. Uh, do we still have challenges? Of course we do. Uh, we're in this together. But if we give in to it, um, many years ago, uh, when you would read and hear about incidents occurring at the fireworks, the city, the police department responded, uh they put a curfew in place. It was very effective uh to the point where at least in the last four years, uh there have been no real incidents occurring at the fireworks. Uh so we've turned the corner or uh the other uh large scale events that occur here on a regular basis in, in Detroit. So we take this, we look at it, and we say, okay, what should have been done different? Uh, one thing that we know, I mean, you talk about numbers of unsupervised youth. Uh, does that play a role? And, uh, absolutely. And, 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 again, not just in Detroit. But kind of digressing, going back to the story you just told to your listeners, I, I found it fascinating, but not surprising. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when you look at neighborhoods, neighborhoods, um, Where young people grow up in environments of violence, whether it's in the home, in the neighborhood, that has a direct impact on that child, direct. Right. And so we don't have a lot of conversations surrounding, I mean, what does the impact look like? Well, what we have in some instances we have children suffering from PTSD. Same thing that, you know, you read and hear about where our heroes that uh, go off and serve the country are police officers who work uh, day after day in in violence. And and so it has an impact. How do we fix that? You know, one of the things that we do, and I call it a small-scale effort, but, you know, we work with DPS and identify uh, the most troubled children, those who may be suffering from PTSD, who live – Uh, in violent neighborhoods or have been exposed to violence. Uh, Let's face it, when a child has seen siblings shot or friends killed, parents incarcerated and or killed, that's not normal. Many of us who grew up with moms and dads uh, and we were protected uh, from those kind of environments We may not know. The only reason why I know is because I've been working in law enforcement now for 40 years. So I have a firsthand view. I understand it. Uh, But we have to treat it. And so uh, when we talk about poverty, we look across the nation, uh, those neighborhoods, those areas that have high poverty – it's safe to say it's a correlation with high violence.
0: Right, right. Let, let, let me ask you this question before I let you go, Chief. There's a lot of people who say that one of the one of the things that stands out about what happened on Noel Night is the difference in deployment. Right, that that there were a lot of police around, that there was a very rapid response, and that that's different from what happens sometimes in neighborhoods when uh, maybe somebody's on the phone just says, Hey, I, I got somebody bro- breaking in my house uh, right now, or uh, I'm in, I'm in trouble. How, how do you answer that?
6: Well, I answer it by saying this was a planned event. And like any planned event, whether it's the fireworks, uh, angels night and Noel night, these are planned events that we staff for. So it was a, of course it was a rapid desp- response because we had well over 120 police officers there. Um, and any suggestion that the neighborhoods are not important because, ironically, this event was planned in, uh, in Midtown, uh, I vigorously pushed back on that. In fact, what I do know, we had the tragic shooting incident of, uh, of five uh, late last week, uh, we responded, well over 60 police officers, some investigators, to quickly try to address, because we knew early on in that investigation that there was a gang nexus. So there are protocols that we follow when we respond to a gang-related type incident, because there's always the issue of retaliation. So any suggestion that we did something different there because it was midtown, uh, the key word is planned event, and if the planned event was somewhere in the 9th precinct or somewhere in the 12th precinct, planned events... Uh, they get
0: more attention is what you're saying. Well,
6: yeah. we uh, to protect lar- a place where a large number of people are going to congregate, we go there, whether it's a, a sporting event. Uh, but again, there's been events in other parts of the city we're large number of people, and we have more police. It's a planned event, so we staff according to the event. Uh, it just so happens that Noël Night is in Midtown. If Noël Night was in, uh, say, the Eighth Precinct, right, we would staff the same way. It'd right. be no different. Uh, it, we should not think that. You know, what I think people forget is that when you look at some of our busier uh, neighborhoods in terms of call load, crime, uh, we have more police officers deployed to those areas. Uh, we spend more time in those areas just because of the volume of work. That's factual. Right. But then people say, well, look at downtown, there are police everywhere. Well, one other thing, at any given time, we might have as many as two to 300 police officers that work what we call secondary employment, these are police officers that are off their regular shift that have opted to work a second job. And right. the second job is working for General Motors. Uh, they want to hire off-duty police officers to patrol yeah. when their employees are coming or leaving work. And so officers opt uh, to work those details. Yeah. But it, has, it doesn't impact deployment of officers in other parts of the city, because these officers are off duty. Right.
0: Uh, Chief James Craig of the Detroit Police Department, it's always a pleasure to have you talking with us here on Detroit Today. Thanks very much. Okay. You're welcome. All right. Uh, let's turn back now to Virgil Al-Taylor, who's a youth advocate in the city of Detroit, founder of the Urban Requiem Project, and Dexter Voize, who is a professor of uh social service and administration uh, at the University of Chicago. He studies how youth on Chicago's South Side cope with community violence. Dexter and Al, welcome to Detroit today. Good morning. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh Al, I want to start with you. Uh let's talk about uh you know, I know I know you well enough to know and I know your work well enough to know that when something like what happened Saturday happens, it's it's got to break your heart. I mean, this is exactly the response that you're trying to teach young people is not what they should be doing. And you think about that story that I told about that young man who wanted to make sure that I knew he had a gun just because I was walking up to his house. I mean, that's how deeply entrenched this response is.
7: Absolutely. Yeah. You know, the the challenge, (laughs) as I see it, is that um, we we now exist in in an environment where um, violence has been normalized with our young people. And, you know, you have to kind of say to yourself, well, why wouldn't it be? Um, the first question I have is the proliferation of guns. Um, when I was a kid coming up and I, you know, I grew up in the inner city of Detroit, not far from where you grew up. I am. You know, it, it wasn't um, a wonderful environment. As many people my age, you know, they like to wax nostalgic about mm-hmm. the good old days. Mm-hmm. We had gangs and we had all of that back then. What we didn't have was guns. Right. Um, they weren't available I was not necessarily a good kid, I mean, I was kind of labeled a good kid, but I was involved in a host of different things, and you know, we had our groups, call them gangs or, or whatever, but we did not have access to guns, just didn't happen. Uh, as I was listening to the Chief talk, and and I do think, I think people put so much on the police, and and what are you going to do to have a cop for every person, I mean, it's just not feasible. But. Um, saying that, my brother and I uh used to have a company and we used to do security for, in particular, the fireworks and uh, the the, it was the Freedom Festival then Mm -hmm. and the Jazz Festival. And um, because of the work we did, we had a large security company and we were armed. And if you weren't law enforcement, there was a lot of stuff you just couldn't get, uh, Mm -hmm. period, you know, you getting much past a 38 or maybe a 357, you could not get it. And then all of a sudden there's this explosion of all types of weaponry available. Um, We have to take into consideration, one, the poverty and those things that we deal with, but also um, what are our children seeing? What are they hearing? Uh, What is constantly in their face? And I think, unfortunately, they're not at the age where, um, and I'm not giving them excuses, however, some of the media things that they are continuously exposed to, be it video games, be it music, be it television. And, and they are at that point where oftentimes, and we remember when we were young and bravado and all of that, mm-hmm. well, if I'm seeing this constantly, and these weapons are available to me somehow magically, uh, what are we really expecting of people? And then when this incident occurs, it is somehow drastically different than the Las Vegas incident, where one man gets a... a, a an armory of weaponry, mm-hmm. and so I, I think again. Yes, it does break my heart, but I think you know over the the years that I've been working with kids, I've lost fourteen kids. Wow! And um, I've tired of going to the macabre funerals and memorials where our children have normalized this. You see children wearing these T-shirts with their deceased friends' pictures on them. I have a kid that he's been gone now six, seven years. He still has an active Facebook page. That speaks volumes to the mentality of our children about the reality of what's taking place here. And then when we talk about incarceration, we've normalized all of this. And we know because of the war on drugs, blah, 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 that we've had a number of young men in particular from our community go off to prison. Mm -hmm. But again... As the chief was saying, you're talking about kids raised in an environment. And I would suggest that not just when they are exposed to direct violence, but some of the neighborhoods, the neighborhood you spoke of. That young man, the household may appear to be whole. But if I'm living around this environment of of just decay. disinvestment, Absolutely. And, um, you know, you look at some of these houses next door, it looks like something out of a horror movie. Mm -hmm. And you're saying to this child that he should be normal. Um, that is his normal. And so they're redefining normal. And then it's being, um, celebrated yeah. on television and, on, and, on, on, music It's being celebrated. So it's being, it's saying to them, I mean, I think about it when I was a kid, if I'd had access to a weapon and Spoonie came up on me, I'd have used it. Yeah. I'm sure I would have, I didn't have access to that. I had to try to fight Spoonie. Right. So that has changed dramatically. But then again, with reality TV and all of these things that are children, they're saying this is how you handle your business. And if I go to jail or if I die, I don't necessarily really die because I got an active Facebook page and my friends are some sort of glory. Glory. Absolutely. We've glorified all of this. And I think that these are things we have to be a little more honest about. Yeah.
0: Uh, Dexter, you guys have done a lot of qualitative work there in Chicago coping with youth violence. Uh, Talk about what uh, what that looks like, and talk about what this issue looks like in Chicago, which has, of course, received a lot of national attention for the increase in violence that, that has been taking place there over the last couple of years.
5: Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. Sure. And, um, you know, what, what we are talking about is really taking a close look at the issue of what happened at Noel Knight and also sort of playing the lens back and taking a long view shot in terms of what's taking place and what's happened at Noel Night, unfortunately, is happening in many cities, including Chicago. But one of the things that's very striking is, you know, how we think about violence. And this conversation is really structured around structural forms of violence. So very often we look at violence as incidences taking place outside of the home involving guns or, or, or among individuals who may or may not be familiar with each other. But I think it's really important to pull the lens back and look at structural forms of violence. So when we look at structural inequality, when we look at poverty, when we look at failing schools, when we look at kids who are growing up in the shadows of the stars and the stripes, these are all structural forms of violence. Mm-hmm. When we talk about high levels of incarceration, kids being born to zip codes that are called million dollar, billion dollar blocks where there's a higher chance of those kids entering the prison system than going into college. These are structural forms of violence that young people grow up and are living with on a daily basis. So I think it's important to really sort of deconstruct what we are talking about. So when we talk about the relationship between violence and economic growth and how violence is a threat, economic growth, not only in Detroit, but in many of our major cities, I think it's important to also talk about and and examine what we mean by incidences of success. So it's useful to have markers talking about the decrease in the levels of violent crime at the fireworks event, at Angel Night, at Noel Night. But this sort of foreshadows a larger conversation that we are kids growing up in a, another America, that they're different Americas that kids are growing up in. So let's talk a little bit about some of these kids. What our studies have shown um, doing in their personal interviews with young African-American boys and girls is that many of these kids are using school as a way of getting up and out of their violent communities, communities that cities have disinvested in, communities that cities have neglected uh, through economic empowerment. And these kids realize that they're being treated differently, that they're living in a different America. Many of these kids are dealing with levels of hopelessness. They realize that their lives, the message that they get from society is Mm -hmm. that their lives are less valuable than others.
0: That's exactly right. And as a
5: result of that, they see the lives of other people that look like them as being less valuable. So they grow up and through the media, through the fact that they're in schools that are underperforming, schools that where you have high teacher turnover, schools where teachers are not properly uh, trained, school uh, communities that there's high surveillance and policing, uh, they realize that they're growing up in a different reality. Yeah. Many of these kids have told us that their dream is to just graduate high school and move to the other side of the neighborhood. So when you ask these kids, What are the dreams or the hopes you have for themselves? It's really a story of survival. One young man told us, he said, my dream is to grow up, get married, marry my my girlfriend, and we move to a safer part of the neighborhood. Many of these kids are using school as a way of social uplift Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. getting out of their communities. So the popular narrative in the media very often is that violence against violence and many kids are using violence as a way of counteracting violence. So what we found in our studies is that that's not the that's not the, the narrative from the kids perspective. It's a narrative from law enforcement, but that's not the narrative that these kids are constructing for themselves.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right, we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back we're gonna to continue to talk about violence, the violence that our kids experience, the violence that our kids sometimes Perpetrate as we saw on this weekend with Noel Knight. And we want to get to the phones here. Jamal in Midtown, Lucy in Detroit, Annette in Detroit, Tom in Northwest Detroit. We will get to you next after a break here on Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We are talking about the violence that happened on Noel Night this past weekend. We're talking a little broader about the subject of violence, and particularly youth violence, not just here but around the country. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call, 313 <laughs> 577 that's the number, 313 uh, You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag us. We'll try to work you into the conversation. Let's go to Lucy in Detroit. Lucy, welcome to Detroit Today.
8: Hi, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Sure. Um, I guess I just want to say first off that in any large event like this, I'm definitely more afraid of one white guy with a automatic shooting a bunch of people than I am with some mixed-up kids, you know. I mean, it's definitely not to downplay what happened, but, I don't know, I just think that's more of a threat than relationship-based violence. But my main comment was that, you know, we see, like, all this investment in the downtown and midtown areas, which, you know, isn't... Definitely, it's not a bad thing to have strong cultural institutions and centers where people can go and, like, enjoy themselves out in the public spaces. But, you know, I mean... We've definitely divested in education in Detroit for so long that, I mean, obviously, like, it's such a complex issue with everything your guests have touched on. But I feel like mainly, you know, the public schools, like, we, you know, kids just don't have a way to embrace critical thinking when they're, like, meshing that with what they see on television. And, they're, you know, it's just like we've just totally fallen down on our responsibility to these young people to help them engage with life through like quality public education. And it's like, you know, it's, it's something that as a, you know, young, younger person looking to have kids in the city, it's like, you know, what do we have to do? How, how do we, how do we start at the root of this? Because, you know, family life is one thing. I mean, you can't get into people's houses and change that stuff. But I mean, the real issue is like, you know, public education in my yeah, mind.
0: That, 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 Lucy, that's a great uh, It's a great point. And if you look at what's happened here in the city of Detroit to public education, just the infrastructure of public uh, education here in the city of Detroit over the last 20, 25 years, I mean, what we have dismantled, what we have taken away from children in terms of the option for that opportunity, as uh, Professor Vazé was saying, uh, the school as as the means to something greater, we're not really providing that for our kids here uh, in Detroit. Lucy, thanks very very much for that call. Let's go to Jamal in Midtown. Jamal, welcome hey, to Detroit.
4: Man. Hey man, how you doing? Good. How are you? Not too bad. I I, I want to say this real quick. Um, <clears throat> I'm one of the most optimistic people on the planet, but I really do. Think that this is it's somewhat symbolic of where Detroit is, and that is you can build, you can nurture downtown, you can nurture midtown, you can nurture, you know, the the relationships that you're trying to build. But if you don't nurture our youth, mm-hmm. there are too many young Detroiters who eventually, you know, grow up to be older Detroiters. There are too many young Detroiters who don't have opportunities, who feel as if they don't have opportunities, they don't have options. And if you think of someone who would pull a gun, and many people need guns for defense, but to actually use it the way that was used in Midtown, the way that's used throughout the city, predominantly these are coming from youth who feel like they don't have options. They yeah. see a different world than you and I have grown to see. Right. And so we need to stop investing in events and invest in people. I, uh, invest in our youth. We will never have the future Detroit that we want if we keep selling our children short.
0: Right. Uh, Jamal, great point. And uh, thanks very much for calling and making it, Uh, Professor Voisin. Talk about how the conversation in Chicago has gone um, uh, along the lines of of reinvesting in in youth. We've got about we've got about three or four minutes left and I want to get you to talk about that. And I want to talk with uh, Al Taylor about the same thing. Right. So it depends upon who you're having the
5: conversation with. So very often folks are coming uh, to quote unquote solutions based on how they define the problem. Mm -hmm. So law enforcement very often defines the problem and the solution in terms of policing and arresting the problem away, surveillance. Um, I think, you know, mental health individuals, you know, define and educators define the problem as a structural problem, looking at access to education and viable education and entering the workforce. So it depends upon who you have the conversation with. So this conversation is being happening in many different aspects of the community. And the problem and the solution depends upon the lens that you're taking to look at the problem. I think a more holistic approach is looking at the structural determinants of violence. And for the folks who are doing that, they're looking at reinvestment in schools, they're looking at dealing with underlying trauma that many kids deal with on a daily basis. And I call this, you know, soft trauma. Soft trauma, not not that the impact is soft, but very often um, the situation goes undiagnosed, unrecognized, until it happens to flow into the media stream very often because it's a high profile situation. But we have kids every day Dealing with trauma associated with living in at-risk communities, and I think it's important to look at that because those kids are more prone to be reactive. So you talk, Stephen, you talk about that wonderful illustration of the young man when he came up um, upon him and he saw a stranger. His first reaction was the pull of gun. Well, in many aspects, kids they underreact to threat they can die because right the risk is very, very high. So you find an overreaction to a situation that may seem normally benign. But this this we're talking about survival and this is very much consistent with people who are exposed to symptoms of PTSD, right? There's an overreactivity. So I think in part we also have to deal with the underlying trauma. So there are schools in Chicago that realize that kids are dealing with trauma on their way to school on their way from school. So one approach has been to, to be dealing in a, on a school-wide basis in terms of mindfulness, just helping kids to calm down for the first 15 minutes. And it's a program that's initiated in several schools in Chicago, just helping kids to calm down right, and right. decompress <clears throat> yeah. in the first <clears throat> few minutes, before right. school and upon leaving school. Upon because if you're, you're traumatized, you really can't focus on academic tasks and you're not going to potentially pass, you know, high school or graduate from right, high
0: school. Right. Uh, Professor, thank you very much for, for those comments. We've got about a minute left. Uh, Al Taylor, how do we how do we reinvest in our kids? well
7: um, oh, That's a great question. <laughs> uh, you know, there are a lot of great organizations that do a lot of good work with kids. Uh, unfortunately, the, the organization I worked with, actively Youthville Detroit, um, that did a lot of work with kids. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't exist anymore. It's gone, yeah. And uh, those ty- those types of programs, those types of organizations fail more often than not. They're, they're underfunded, they're not sustainable, great ideas, but it's how do you keep it going? And, and our children see this regularly. And, and so that's another one of those things talking about loss of hope, because our kids end up recognizing that adults are the ones that are letting them down. They don't believe in us oftentimes. Yeah. And uh, I, I agree with the professor. However, I would say too, what are you doing with the kids that aren't in school? And I've encountered tons of them. Sure. And some of those kids that were not in school, that would not go to school, parents weren't invested in school, those kids are no longer with us. So where do you reach them? And when I hear a lot of the discussion about our children, I hear discussions about from adult perspectives about what is necessary, but who's talking to the kid? Where, where is their input? Where is their – and I, I would say, and I'll close with this, the kid the – young man, because I've seen what you experienced. Yeah. You weren't a threat. He was he, he was letting you know that's his turf. That right. that is a posture right. that I've seen far too often. Mm-hmm. And the kid will let you know I got this. Right. This is, is my this is my my space. Yeah. And and you are you are broaching that but you didn't threaten him,
0: I am sure. Right, right. Okay. Virgil Al Taylor, youth advocate in the city of Detroit, founder of the Urban Requiem Project, and Dexter Voise, Professor the University of Chicago School of Social Service Administration. Thank you both for being here on Detroit today. Thank you, Steve. That's going to do it for me today. Tomorrow. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, the community service of Wayne State University. We'll see you tomorrow.